Hi, welcome everyone. Welcome to our final episode of 2023 on understanding EMDR and we begin by paying our respects to all First Nations people and elders past, present and emerging. And I'm coming to you today from Awabakal land and as it is our final episode of 2023, I thought it would be a lovely idea to have a return guest on our program, and this is our first return guest, the lovely Caroline Burrows. So welcome, Caroline. Thank you, Tracy. It's so nice to be back. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about some of our learnings in relation to potentially ourselves, our businesses, our EMDR work um, today. And it's lovely um, that potentially I've learned a few things about the podcast since I interviewed you on that first go. So hopefully people are finding the EMDR journey with me, you know, improving maybe step by step. But lovely to have you back. Oh, it's so nice to be back. And I think that we did a great job in that first episode, Tracy. I don't think there's been any need for improvement this year. Having said that, there's always those little tweaks out there that we make. I think you've had a great year with the podcast and I've heard many colleagues share similarly that they have found it to be yeah, just really excellent and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've listened to every episode this year. Oh, thank you. It's definitely been a joy and we've got a beautiful EMDR community to showcase, and I'm continuing to look forward to doing that next year. So 2023. So can you start us off by potentially naming one of your learnings that's happened for you this year? One of my learnings really has been that EMDR therapists really need and benefit from a lot of support just as I did back when I did my basic training more than 10 years ago, to support them to really embed what they learn in the training workshops, whether that be part one or part two EMDR, into their clinical practice. So I think that that bridge between training and implementation and confidence to use EMDR and keep using it, that support is needed, more support than I perhaps even realised. Okay, so that sort of that bridge between the new learning integration and then taking it into their work. It sounds like you've got a, a real sense and 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 there was some feedback that you saw that has shown you some themes around this. Is that correct? That's correct. And I think over the course of this year, how that's really come about has been that I have been running consultation groups and doing individual consultation work in addition to the basic training program that I run. And I've been hearing similar themes coming up, which is that some people are very apprehensive about using EMDR in their clinical work. And I've had several group consultation sessions that I've come away from feeling just really almost a bit befuddled as to how I can train people better and how I can support people more to really help them to overcome some of those early apprehensions and hurdles and barriers. And I think it's been those conversations and those themes that have come up, particularly in consultation groups, that has led me just to really think, what is it that 
we are missing as EMDR trainers. Now, I'm not saying any of us trainers or consultants are not doing a great job. I'm not saying that. However, I do think that there is a some missing piece between what people are learning and their actual implementation. There was some fascinating statistics that Andrew Leeds also shared at the EMDRA conference in May of 2023. So he was the keynote speaker of the conference in Melbourne this year, and he talked about this really quite quite dis- disturbing almost or quite uh, unsettling statistic, which was a very high portion of people that learn EMDR are no longer using it after five years. Yeah. And many don't go on to use it at all. And I just think that's quite a shame. I'm not saying EMDR is absolutely for everybody, but if somebody is investing the time, energy and, and money into learning EMDR and is not using it or not using it ongoing, I think we're missing something. And so that's really been not only the learning for me this year, but also the drive behind me sort of stepping into some really cool new ideas that I'm now implementing. Yeah, so it feels like you're getting sort of learning across the lifespan, if you like, of that EMDR um, learning journey right from when they come in to do the basic training in the consultation groups or one-on-one consultations. I know you also do some amazing advanced training, but it sounds like um, there was an event that you ran recently, a free event, um, can it, and where you've also gleaned some more knowledge around some of the gaps so can you just talk us through about that free event that you ran certainly so about three weeks ago now I ran a two-hour free Q&A and discussion session it was an online session where I invited any EMDR therapists part one trained or beyond to register and to join me for a conversation about some of the challenges that they may have been encountering to embedding EMDR in their practice. So it was really tailored for EMDR therapists who either have trained but not really gotten going with using it or have started using it and lost their confidence somewhere along the way and have stopped using it or perhaps have had a break and are wanting to restart. So that was the target audience. And I was really quite humbled and and blown away that more than 160 people registered for that particular event. And since then, I've made the recording and resources freely available and lots more people have subsequently asked for those. What really was quite eye-opening and helpful for me was that in preparation for the event, I sent out a electronic questionnaire for people to complete to indicate what their main pain points are or their main barriers or obstacles to confidently using EMDR. Based on the feedback in that questionnaire, I then used that to structure the conversation that I had in that free session. So firstly, what I'm noticing there is there was a lot of interest. So obviously, you're asking the right questions in terms of, you know, what might be getting in the way for you to use EMDR in your work. And there was like that's, you know, these days a lot of people, um, there's lots of great training out there. So to have that many people show interest sort of shows that you're asking the right questions. And then 
that pre-questionnaire that helped sort of inform you and helped you plan the, the webinar, were you seeing themes in that already? Like was there some um some some like common common themes, common issues that were coming through? There certainly were. So the top response, so in relation to which challenges do you resonate with in your EMDR clinical work? And I gave a series of boxes to tick and people could select which ones resonated. 65% of people, so this was certainly the top response, indicated that their primary challenge is knowing where to start and what to target with complex clients. And what I've extrapolated from that through the conversation in the two-hour session was really that there's this, this gap between starting EMDR training with foundational skills in basic standard protocol, which is where we have to start. I mean, you can't start with advanced concepts. We need to learn the basics before we can further finesse and, and build on that. But people learning those, leaving the training, coming out and thinking, I've got this amazing new therapy to try and my clients are all complex and so I don't know how to apply this standard protocol to these really complex clients because I haven't yet got the further skills that I'm hoping to get in part two training and many of them are dissociative and I've been encouraged at part one training not to use EMDR to reprocess trauma with really dissociative people yet and so people almost feeling like they're in a bit of limbo almost, yeah. almost hoping for this elusive single incident trauma client yeah. with the car accident to practice on yeah. and not finding that that was actually conducive to their reality of their caseload. And then in some cases, getting consultation and, and, and progressing beyond that hurdle for others not using it until they either did part two training or in some cases, some people at the two-hour Q&A had not gone on to do part two and it actually said, look, I'd almost given up and I saw this free session and here I am. And I was humbled and, and delighted that people took yeah. that opportunity to meet so, me. So almost, you know, in, in 65% of those cases, potentially feeling, you know, maybe disillusioned, disappointed, feeling like um, there was too big a gap between that first introduction learning with EMDR and the what the what their clients were presenting in in, in that clinical setting correct I think that's the Was that a surprise to you was that result a surprise to you I don't think so, but only because I've been having these conversations with a lot of consultees. And I think when I get to part two workshops, when I'm teaching people the second half of the basic training, that's certainly conducive to what they're reporting. I don't know how surprised I would have been if I hadn't had that inside information, but certainly it was my hunch that that was a difficulty. Yeah. yeah. The second most common challenge is interesting to me, and this one was one that I was a little more surprised by. So this was 52.8%, so let's say 53% of respondents said that feeling clunky or self-conscious about the procedures in EMDR, so the scripts, the eye movements, the structure of it, mm 
was a big challenge for them. And third was 48%, which is related, was the transitioning from talk therapy to EMDR. And I think they're linked. The transition from what you've always done with a client to now bringing in this very structured process that might seem a bit weird and strange and following scripts to try to get it right and follow the the wording that they perceive they're meant to follow, that really has gotten a lot of people in knots. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So mentioning that the second challenge with 52.8% was almost like the the mechanisms, if you like, um, and and feeling quite awkward around those. That's um, great. Yeah. And then the third sort of highest rating on 48% was how can I be more comfortable going from what I've been doing or potentially always have done and introduce this, this new therapy that just seems so different from my normal sort of mode of operation. Yeah. Yeah. They are the, they're the top three themes yeah. that we covered in that Q&A session. Yeah. And so with that particular Q question and A, answer session, those answers, um, I'm hoping that we can just, just cover a few things briefly now and then is there the possibility of people jumping on and grabbing that webinar so they can have a deeper understanding? And the next question is potentially are you thinking that you might even build some more resources around those three topics? Yes to all of the above. Yeah, yeah. That's right. This has excited me a lot professionally. I've been both troubled and a bit, in all honesty, Tracy, a bit hard on myself. I came away from this Q&A and I said to my partner, I said, what have I been doing wrong? Yeah, right, yeah. I feel like I'm teaching this method of therapy to the best of my ability and people are coming away feeling these concerns what am I doing wrong and once I wallowed in that for a minute or two I thought well okay let's let's use this information really helpfully and it's not about self-blame or shame it's about just let's be excited about how can we identify these gaps and how can we help people to overcome them so yes and looking ahead to 2024 in addition to my ongoing basic training work my workshops and my consultation this is the area of focus for me that I really intend to develop more resources make them freely available run more free Q&A events and also to make the recording and resources from the one I've already run available to anybody who wants it. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's very generous and very needed by the sounds of it, that there needs to be some more support and mentoring. Um, And in my experience, um, I've found our Australian EMDR community really supportive. Um, The lovely Amy and Michelle at Siva House are also offering a beautiful free opportunity with their EMDR in a fishbowl. And throughout the year, there are lots of opportunities for people to, to learn if, if um, you know, that passion's there. And as someone who is pretty new to EMDR, only a few years, um, having, you know, those that have gone before us that are, sort of there to continue our learning and growth and embed it 
is really essential to have the elders in the community being there to to continue to cheer and and spur it, you know each other on. So how about we come back to that top response? And um, if you can just remind us again what that 65% response was and then maybe just two suggestions around that, if that's okay. So that response was difficult in knowing where to start and what to target with complex clients. And so I think for me the first thing that I would suggest is to come back to basics in regard to what I call the North Star for therapy, any therapy, and in this case EMDR, which is what does the client want to achieve from therapy right now? So coming back to having a really clear sense of what their therapeutic goals are and of those goals, what is the primary focus right now? You That's want- the North Star, Yeah. That's what I'm calling the North Star because I see that as any time you get lost, that's what we can look toward because what I think follows from that is selecting targets that are going to be meaningful and relevant to that because I think what has been a focus of EMDR therapy in years gone by and certainly the way we train it is methods of target selection such as a top 10 list of negative memories or even a timeline of events that, in all honesty, I actually don't know are necessarily the most helpful way to identify the most meaningful targets for very complex clients. Yeah. Can I just speak to that for a second? Because that's one of my learnings um, that I guess I learned it the year before last when I was pounding through lots of those intensive sessions, yeah, and then it's been affirmed to me through my work with complex clients in Burke working in Indigenous community, and that is that um, if I am not really attuned to what that client, how that client wants to feel differently and act differently after this body of work and where they're most motivated to get change, um, like for, that's the not, like you said, that I love that, that's the North Star, right? Um, and if I'm not really clear on what that is, I'm going to get lost in the bush. I've got to, you've got to keep coming back to that guiding point and then within that client system really looking at what is currently getting in the way of how they want to feel and how they want to act and allowing that to guide the case conceptualization and when I'm working in that intensive model things have to be done quite quickly so there potentially is going to be some of those top 10 worst memories that may have already been processed or just aren't relevant to the client's therapeutic goal. I agree. And there's no disrespect intended to anybody, including myself, who up until now, very recently, teaches that at part one. I think it's a way that it feels easy to to name and and, and, and identify memories and in in a structured framework that feels simple enough to teach 
I do, however, feel as though sometimes it becomes a bit arbitrary where processing something that's on a list because it's on a list rather than it being reverse engineered from why are they in therapy, why now, what's the core belief underpinning that issue that they're wanting to change and what memories are related to that core belief that is underpinning that issue they want to change. So the way that we go about it, I think, needs to be much more meaningfully relevant to why they are in therapy and why now, right now. Yeah. And in my experience, when we're working with the client's hopes and needs, then the motivation level is is there because we're working with what the client wants to change and what their body and their like their that sense of self knows is related to that goal rather than random stuff that doesn't necessarily in this block of work feel related yeah I, I agree and you mentioned motivation earlier I think that's also incredibly meaningful because somebody's going to be much more motivated to do the deeply painful work of trauma reprocessing if they can see a really relevant and meaningful link between what they're hoping to change and that memory that you're planning to process and I think clients then will have more buy-in I think then parts that maybe are reluctant or a bit concerned about the work may be able to come on board more easily because there's a sense in which there's a very clear purpose and and rationale for why we're doing what we're doing yeah so I like that piece that you said a few moments ago I'm just going to ask you to go through it again but if we can potentially use an example so let's just say that uh, I was saying to you, um, I am most, most motivated to work on my anxiety. And after this block of work, I want to feel safe in my body um, and I want to be able to act more confidently when I'm out and about in the world, right? Um, so if you were sort of case conceptualising that in terms of those three points you mentioned. So my North Star is feeling safer, let's say. What would you do with that? Mm. It's interesting you ask because a metaphor that I used in the first podcast episode we had at the beginning of the year is something I'm going to refer to again now, but I hope now with more context as to why I think this is so useful. So it's a beautiful sort of full circle. I do love that um, reverse pyramid concept that I talked about in my very first episode. I might have called it a reverse triangle, but in any event, the idea of we start at the broad end and we narrow down. So I start with the broad end being why in therapy, why now? And you've indicated that being the North Star. I think the North Star's even one rung lower on the pyramid, so we're narrowing slightly to of all those reasons we're in therapy and why now, which is the top priority for the client at this time. Then narrowing that little further, I think the next logical step then is what is the negative belief? We call it cognition in EMDR, but for me really it's a negative core belief that is underpinning that priority issue that they want to work on now in therapy. So let's say with that example, 
You've mentioned that the feeling safe in my body and tangibly that meaning that I can feel more confident in, say, my relationships or leaving the house. So focusing in on that, what is the negative belief that is fueling me not feeling safe in my body and feeling confident? And let's say that might be I'm vulnerable or I'm not safe. And then going a rung lower, as in narrowing a bit more on that reverse pyramid, what experiences in that person's life, that could be childhood, adolescent, adult, have given rise to I'm not safe? And so once we identify what those experiences are, we narrow then further to which of those experiences feels the most relevant place to begin. And I will note that when we notice those relevant experiences, that can also include present triggers as well and fears. So we've got a sense of all of our possible targets, past and present. In terms of which one we start with, which is really narrowing down at the bottom of that pyramid, usually Shapiro suggests it be the first or the worst However, if the client is not feeling robust enough to start at the worst or first, or we don't feel that that's clinically appropriate, either most recent, so in the past prong, but an adult experience perhaps if they're an adult, so something more recent, can be a gentler place to start or even in the present prong, a present trigger or fear related to I'm not safe, which is related to I don't feel safe in my body and I'm not confident. So I think it's almost that reverse engineering to get to where we start based on where are we hoping to get to and what core belief are we aiming to overcome or shift. And, of course, as part of that broader planning how ready the client is to do that work. And that's where the selection of first, worst, most recent or another present target will be determined uh, because if the client is really skilled and has really strong capacity to cope with affect and painful experiences, hitting it hard where it's started, first or worst, is, is often where we will go, but we may not do that with every client. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. You have such a beautiful, clear way of teaching and explaining. So I've definitely appreciated that for many years and again now today. Um, So what I'm hearing you say is that obviously, and you, you said it a few times, that the client's sense of safety and what resources and adaptive material they have on board is going to be really important to the process. And then once we feel that their system is ready to start the work in a safe way, we're really being detectives, aren't we? We're being detectives around, okay, what are you wanting to change? What are the current beliefs that are holding these feelings or behaviours in place and how did they get there? And that stuff around how they got there, we, we start to look back, they're our targets, aren't they? That's the, you know, potentially a memory, a feeling, body sensations, and then that same belief that's being held in place. Yeah. Um, and we're working 
all within that same network, so in that same channel rather than sort of flipping into different channels or different beliefs. We're sticking in that same channel. That's right. And, of course, there will be other related beliefs and experiences. So it's not linear and rigid, but I do think that creates a coherence to the therapy. And I also think in terms of target selection and the three-pronged approach in EMDR, past, present and future, I would recommend that folk do past, present, future in relation to one channel, let's say safety, and then move on to past, present, future in relation to another channel, such as defectiveness, I'm unworthy. I think what can happen in EMDR is we can spend months or years or longer in the past prong trying to essentially process every single conceivable adverse experience that this person's ever had and either the client drops out before we even get to present and future or they lose momentum or something comes up funding runs out perhaps and we then often miss the the the, the capacity or the opportunity to really embed it in tangible change in their life by dealing in the present and future prongs. I actually think that's something else I've learned this year is that we emphasise the past in EMDR almost to the, not exclusion, but a little to the expense of the present and future prongs. I've found some consultees who have trained in EMDR two, three years ago might say to me in a consultation session, they've never done a future template in EMDR, for example. And I think that's very interesting. So making sure that the therapy is relevant to their presenting concerns, their goals, the North Star, also does require targets in the present and also future template in relation to that channel. Okay, that's great. So there'll be there's more information on Caroline's webinar around that particular topic, but we're going to move on to the second challenge, which was about the sort of clunkiness of it in terms of the the paperwork or the you know the the script, the protocol, the actual physical BLS. So what's what's one piece of advice on that one you have? Look, I think that the first thing is to just own that it is different. And I know that might sound very easy for me to say, having done this a long time, but I think a lot of EMDR therapists overthink this idea that, well, I've been doing ACT or I've been doing this other therapy with this client, particularly we're talking existing clients, for so long that it's going to be jarring or somehow misattuned to change my approach and I've even had people literally ask me what's my client going to think of this or of me and so my advice really is to to just own that it's different so rather than almost feeling like it shouldn't be different or that it's a problem that it's different I actually see it as an amazing opportunity that it's different so I would recommend that EMDR therapists presented to their client actually with an air of great optimism and enthusiasm, not pretending that it's the magic cure for anything, but more coming at it from the perspective of, look, I'd love to just review what we've been doing and where we're heading and making sure that North Star's part of that. We've been working together on this issue and you've shared with me that certain things have improved and there's certain areas that you've identified need more work and perhaps haven't improved. Rather than us doing what we've done and keep doing what we've done if it's not helping in that area, I'd actually love to suggest we try something different. And I've got something different that I'd like to share 
that I'm excited about. I think this could be really helpful for you. And in introducing EMDR, actually really, really celebrating that it's different because the fact that it's different, I think actually brings great hope and optimism that it will hopefully be helpful because if you keep doing what you've always done, you're probably going to get what you've always got. So I say to them, it's a bit quirky. It involves some what we call bilateral stimulation, usually eye movements, you following my hand, my eye, your eyes following my fingers. And the great thing about it being different is that I think that brings us some hope that it could be something new that is hopefully going to shake things up a bit for you. Would you be interested in me telling you about it? And so if the client can start to really catch a bit of our infectious enthusiasm, I think that then just sort of sets aside this, this awkwardness about it being different. The fact that it's different is, I think, what's enticing and curious. And then I think with the mechanisms, I think just being a bit playful with that. I don't mean to the extent that we self-deprecating or say, you know, it's stupid, but actually say, look, this, you know, am I allowed to swear? Yes, of course. Even saying, you know, this shit's a bit weird, but it works and there's a lot of science behind it. Are you willing to try some weird shit with me? Like I've never had a client say, no, actually, I'm not interested in trying something that's science and evidence-based that you think is going to help me. And so then when I, you know, move my arm and things like that, I just sort of lean into the the quirkiness and I actually, I mean, I'm a very quirky person and so I actually love being quirky. I love kind of always surprising someone with something new but not feeling like we have to just do what we've always done. I think that's the main thing. This brings optimism. And the um, if I'm allowed one further thing, I think it's also about the clunkiness and the nervousness that people feel is about I'm now going to be reading this script verbatim and I'm going to go from being a really experienced, attuned therapist in my craft to now looking like a nuffy or a novice. A lot of people feel de-skilled by EMDR training. So what I wanted to just say is that whilst, yes, we want to maintain the spirit of the steps you learn in the training, we don't want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and just go rogue. We do not have to read the script word for word. And if you miss a step or two, it doesn't matter. I think a lot of people get it really tangled up with this perfectionistic, unrelenting standards. I'm putting my hand up, but that was me early on. And I think a lot of therapists have those schemas. And so a quote that was shared by our colleagues on another podcast, the Notice That podcast, was one of Pablo Picasso's quotes, and I love it so much that I'd love to share it, which is, learn the rules like a pro so that you can break them like an artist. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is that it's a two-sided coin. We need to learn basics, but if we rigidly hold to basics and read word for word in such a way that we do to the person or it's not attuned to them or it's not conducive with our usual style or warmth it's it's not it's not us it's not good therapy it doesn't feel authentic and in all honesty Tracy people don't do it they leave it behind they put it on the shelf but on the other side if people just dive in and don't take the time to learn those basic skills and just throw that you know manual out the window then 
yes, we're breaking the rules and that might feel fun and, and free flowing, but we're not actually maintaining the robust essence of why EMDR is science-based, evidence-based. So I actually think it's both together. We need to have some foundational confidence in the, the basics, but we also need to and will adapt it when needed. So I think giving therapists that freedom that you do not have to be a robot, in fact, do not be a robot, do not lose your warmth, your attunement, and put the script on the table and attune to your client if that's not helping to have a script in front of you. Uh, you can be an artist in EMDR. People need to know that. Yeah, I love that concept of the, you know, the art and science of EMDR. And I also, you know, that that sense of it is a little bit like learning a new language and it takes time to learn a new language. But if we don't practice, then we absolutely have no chance of learning that new language. And there's also so many opportunities for consultation um, to get support. Um, and if we have a real sense of why we're doing what we're doing, it feels to me in my experience that some of those little mistakes don't, like you said before, don't really matter. But if we can continue to be reflective and learn about, like, you know, reflective on our practice, but know why the steps are there, not just know what the steps are, but know why they're there. What is it we're trying to do? What's the North Star? What's getting in the way of us following the North Star? Where did it first start? what needs to be metabolised in our system and, you know, that incredible adaptive information processing system is championing us. It's on our side, you know, and if there's good relationship there, that's all a part of that as well. So, I, yes. I agree. And I think it's having that understanding of why we're doing what we're doing that helps us to then intelligently modify it. And I can assure you with more complex cases, we will need to modify the standard procedures and that is okay to do that. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like there is some amazing learning um, out of that um, question and answer webinar and I'm sure there'll be some um, exciting resources to follow. Yeah. Um, what else are you looking forward to about 2024, Caroline Burrows? What's on your hit list for 2024? Well, I am hoping to go to Tasmania to do basic training for the first time. This year I have gone to Queensland and to New South Wales and I'm in Victoria and exp expanding out to Tassie would be a wonderful privilege. So I've certainly got something Part one, training scheduled for Tassie next year. And I think for me, it's about really just continuing to refine my basic training curriculum and what I teach and how I teach it really to support therapists like this. For example, I have just recently decided to teach target selection and sequencing at part one training a bit differently based on all the things now that I've just talked to you about. And so every time I run a workshop, I refine what I do and I just feel like I'm still learning. It's only 18 months since I've been running my own basic EMDR training workshops. And so I'm still new to that. And I'm just so keen to keep learning from my consultees and to keep just being the best, best trainer that I can be. But I'm really keen to continue to, uh, to contribute to the community in ways that we've described today to support 
EMDR therapists to really embed what they learn and not to lose them from the community. Because I actually just think EMDR is too wonderful a therapy. It's too evidence-based and too robust for people to not use. I think our clients benefit enormously from this therapy. So I just I sound like I'm sort of on a bit of a, a bit of a crusade. I really feel like I want to increase the retention rate of EMDR therapists. That's my my real focus and mission. I like a real mission, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, I'm just noticing the time and it's gone so fast. <laughs> so uh, which is which is you know what happens when we're you know in our bliss, um, time flies, doesn't it? So um I think you could a long time, Tracy. Yeah, well, we can, I'm sure we could all listen for a long time, and that's why there's going to be some uh ways to connect with Caroline in the show notes and that recent webinar that you can jump onto. Um, and definitely have you back next year and see how um, this mission is going in terms of retention rates and deepening all of our understanding and really making EMDR relevant and safe for our clients and the users. I love it. I'm so excited and it's been such a pleasure to talk again with you, Tracy. Yeah, thank you. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for being on the first year journey of understanding EMDR. If you're listening and you feel like you would like to reach out and be a guest on the show, please reach out to me via my website, tracylynch.com.au. And if you're interested in my upcoming resource therapy training in February. You can check that out on my website. But we're, Caroline and I are both wishing you all a safe, restful break. Take some time out and we look forward to seeing you again next year. Bye for now. Bye.